0: Welcome to you wherever you are at, whomever you're with. We are so very glad that you are here with us for a few moments this weekend. Uh, We are in a teaching series called At the Movies, and we're taking uh, current releases, old classics, and seeing if God can not speak to us through the creative genre of movies and storytelling. And in case you need a little more theological background uh, for that, Uh, truth, uh, rather than what we'll give today, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to at least the very first message in this series, where we lay the biblical foundation for how God is the great storyteller, and he reveals eternal truth to us through creative storytelling that engages us in life uh, as we experience it. Well, today we're going to take one of the current uh, releases, Uh, This summer, uh, one of the uh, more popular movies, and it's called uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. And uh, maybe uh, you saw the first uh, Spider-Man movie into the Spider-Verse. Well, this is kind of an adaptation, builds on that story. And as uh, many of the Marvel uh, comic uh, stories and movies go, it's a story about uh, how we discover our identity Uh, how we form an awareness of our place in the world and our role in the world and what it is that we bring uh, to life. You know, in case you hadn't noticed, that idea of establishing our sense of identity is kind of a big deal right now in our society and in our world. And uh, one of the messages that rings out of uh, the Spider-Man, into the Spider-Verse, across the Spider-Verse, One of the messages uh, that come out of those movies is uh, how we arrive at our sense of self is complex. It's complicated. In fact, in Across the Spider-Verse, one of the great quotes, uh, this one from Peter Parker, one of the uh, expressions of Spider-Man in another dimension. You got to watch the movie. Uh, He says to uh, Miles Morales, uh, the hero of our story, he says, look, Miles, bad things are going to happen. And it's part of who we are. In other words, you got to learn to incorporate those difficult, those bad, those hardships, those losses into your your life story, into your perception of yourself and your role in the world. Well, Peter Parker goes on to kind of balance that out. He says, you know, good things are going to happen too, and they uh, they all combine together to create this sense of meaning. Uh, in our own lives, and uh, he tells him one of the best things that can happen is we gain a sense of responsibility for the well-being of others. And uh, in that uh, acceptance of our duty and our obligations to people, according to the Across the Spider-Verse, uh, even the bad becomes incorporated into our sense of personal identity. Well, you might summarize all of that up to say one of the messages of Across the Spider-Verse is when it comes to forming our sense of identity, it's complicated. It's not an easy process, and it's uh, very dynamic and evolving. In fact, the truth of the matter is many things shape the way we view ourselves in the world. They include our physical appearance, our emotional traits, our education, our profession, our life experiences, our genetics, where we came from and who we're attached to, our health conditions, our family, our family, our our nationality, our ethnicity, our social community, our peer groups, our political environment, our language, our religion, our spirituality, our gender, our sexuality, our personality, our interests, our goals, our values, our beliefs, our memories, and all of our experiences. All of these combine to shape our view of ourselves, our sense of identity, and our place in the world. You know, here's the truth. We all have layers and dimensions that contribute to who we are and how we express ourselves in the world. Uh, a number of years ago, a famous experiment was done. It came to be known as the scar experiment or the hideous wound. And uh, what they did is they had these uh, uh, people who were willing to participate in the experiment. Uh, they had professional makeup artists uh, put a hideous wound on their faces, and then they sent them out into the lunchtime crowd in a busy urban environment. And uh, as each of these participants were about to leave, the makeup area, uh, the, the artist uh, stopped him, wanted to do a little touch-up to make sure that the hideous scar was as it should be. And uh, instead of uh, touching it up, they actually took it off. And uh, unknowingly, they sent these participants out into the busy lunchtime crowd with what they thought was a hideous wound or scar on their face. Uh, but it was no longer there. And uh, after an hour or so of interactions, they came back and reported their experience. And almost all of them said things like, oh, it was awful. The way that people responded to me when they saw this wound on my face, I felt like that was all they noticed about me. And uh, again and again, their experiences were similarly negative. Uh, thinking that they had this hideous wound on their face when in fact there was nothing but their normal self and uh, this uh, really highlights that anything can contribute to forming the way we feel about ourselves the way we perceive ourselves our identity in the way we show up in the world to others it can be a bad hair day it can be a bad hormone day It can be a bad night's sleep. It can be a good night's sleep. All of these things shape the way we embark upon that day, seeing ourselves, interacting with others. Well, uh, here's a disclaimer. Uh, In this 20-minute presentation, I'm not going to give a lot of complicated answers uh, to our identity issues and crises that are so prevalent in our world today, but what I am going to offer is a few perspectives based on the good news of Jesus Christ, his coming, his life, his death, his resurrection, his gospel of hope that is extended to all people that I think can allow us to engage in these and other complicated issues in a life-giving way. I hear that. I want to offer a few perspectives from the life and the good news of Jesus that allow us to engage in identity issues and all the complex issues in our world today in a more life-giving way. You know, one of my mentors, wonderful friend, a guy named Jerry Cook, uh, he once taught a ministry class that I was a part of, and he started with this heading. He said, look, if we want to do ministry well, and uh, by the way, he defined ministry in this way. He said, ministry is meeting needs, In Jesus name. That's the heart of advancing the cause of Christ in the world. It's meeting the needs of people in Jesus name. In fact, uh, you know, uh, there was one episode in the life of Jesus where he was bringing the kingdom of God into the world. And uh, in this context of Jesus advancing uh, what would become the church, uh, the presence of God and people in the world, Uh, John the Baptist ends up in prison and uh, he's about to lose his head for his standing up for God. And uh, he sends a message to Jesus. And he says, um, you know, when it comes to advancing the kingdom of God, God coming in authority and power, bringing his Messiah, he said of Jesus, are you the one who is to come? Or should we look for another? In other words, should we look for someone else who's going to advance the kingdom of God and power and and glory? And here's the reply he got from Jesus. Uh, He said, go tell John what you've seen and heard, that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. See, this is Jesus' description of what ministry looks like. And uh, if we're going to do that well, according to my friend Jerry, He said there's some things you need to work through in terms of your identity. And uh, here were the things uh, he encouraged us, and I'm encouraging you. Uh, If you're going to do ministry well in any complicated situation, you need to have three things clarified. Uh, Number one, your view of God. Uh, How do you see God? How do you understand God to to be? And uh, we know that the greatest lens by which we clarify our view of God is the lens of Jesus Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so we clarify before we ever go out and try to meet needs in Jesus' name, what's our view of God as as expressed through the person of Jesus Christ? Then from that, we determine our view of ourselves. So we got our our view of God, our view of ourselves. in light of the revelation of God. We see ourselves as valued by God, forgiven by God. Uh, cared for by God, empowered by God, sent by God, and equipped by God to share the hope of Jesus. What's our view of God? What's our view of ourselves? And finally, those determine our view of others. Uh, this is how we do ministry in Jesus' name, with a clear view of God, a clear view of our own identity as children of God, and. Uh, and going out to those whom are loved and valued by God. Uh, Think of the example of how Jesus went about his ministry. We're told in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 17, uh, as Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water, and he heard a voice from heaven, and this voice said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Uh, You talk about Jesus having a clear view of God, Uh, God as his heavenly Father, well-pleased with him. Uh, He as the Son of God, going in the name of God to uh, share the love and the hope of God with others. Uh, See, Jesus, he knew clearly what his identity was. In fact, he said on occasion, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said, I can do only the works that I see the Father doing. And so uh, Jesus embarked upon his mission with a very clear sense who God was, who he was, as a, child, as a son of God, empowered to bring the hope of God to the world. And because of that, he saw others accurately. You know, there's one episode in the life of Jesus where all of these uh, come into clarity. Uh, the way Jesus saw God, the way he saw himself, and the way he viewed people, complicated people, it's an episode where we're told there was a Pharisee, a guy named Simon, who had Jesus over for dinner. And uh, turns out uh, a woman of the world dropped by as well. And we're told that uh, this was a woman who lived a blatantly sinful life. And uh, as Jesus is dining with this Pharisee, this woman is struck by the value she's received from Christ. Apparently the love expressed to her in spite of her complicated life. And uh, the Pharisee uh, looks upon this interaction between Jesus and this woman. As she's weeping, her tears are falling on the feet of Jesus. She's drying his feet with her hair. And Simon is rather disgusted. And he says to himself, uh, if this man, speaking of Jesus, were a prophet from God, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner And, uh, you know, in that one thought, uh, Simon expresses his view of God, his view of himself, and his view of others. Uh, He saw that God is repulsed by people who make dumb choices (laughs) like this woman had been making. Uh, Simon, the Pharisee, uh, saw God as being uh, offended by people such as this. Uh, His view of himself is that he was better than this woman. He was fit to be in the presence of Jesus, and obviously his view of others is expressed with a disdain and a disgust, uh, as he uh, saw people, uh, because of their choices, as being reprobates and unworthy of God's love. Well, we know, according to the reaction of Jesus, that's not at all how God felt about this woman, And uh, Jesus said, Simon, ever since I've been here, you didn't greet me with a kiss. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't do anything to express your respect and adoration, whereas this woman has poured out her heart before God. Uh, See, uh, in that example, uh, we see that Jesus consistently uh, acted according to his identity, his understanding of his father, his view of himself, and his view of of people. Not surprisingly, uh, right after that scene where Jesus comes out of the water and uh, we hear this voice boom from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. We see an attack on the identity of Jesus, we're told in the very next verse, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And here's how the devil tried to derail the Son of God. We're told in verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, Uh, trying to throw into question uh, this uh, perception of of Jesus as the uh, called, anointed, sent, empowered Son of God to bring the hope and love of God to the world really brings to mind uh, this truth portrayed not only in the life of Jesus, but in some of these classic movies uh, that we've been dealing with. Uh, One of the primary ways the tempter derails the good purpose of God in our lives is to attack and confuse our sense of identity. Uh, Who are we before God? Who are we to show up in the world as? And, uh, you know, uh, one of the examples where this kind of identity confusion shows up, personified in living color, is that Jesus crosses the lake. He encounters a man who is oppressed by demonic spirits. And as Jesus is working with this guy to free him and liberate him, at one point Jesus said, tell me your name. And the response he gets from this guy is, my name is Legion, for we are many. Many and uh, he was expressing, there's a multitude of things going on inside of me that are hindering and harassing and oppressing me. Uh, You know, uh, this really does uh, bring into mind uh, the truth that uh, who we are before God, how we're to show up in the world, is very, very complicated. In fact, I I would say it's an evolving, unfolding process. And uh, As we kind of bring this message to a close, I want to highlight one of Christ's servants, a guy named the Apostle Paul. And as he wrote to a group of his friends in a very complicated city called Corinth, all kinds of things going on, he was wanting to clarify with them their view of God, their view of themselves, and the way that they interacted with and viewed others. And so he writes... Uh, In one of his letters, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, uh, so uh, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, uh, paid for our sins, being raised from the dead, uh, offering the good news of forgiveness and reconciliation with God, he says, because of all that, we regard no one, underscore, circle, no one. We regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though at one time we even regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Uh, Instead, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is from God. What in the world? Uh, Paul is saying because of the reconciling work of Jesus on the cross, we no longer see people uh, the way we once did the way Simon viewed this sinful woman in the presence of Jesus. We don't see others that way, Paul says, or at least according to the gospel, we don't have to see others that way. Instead, he says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. We have an opportunity, a new lens uh, to view God, ourselves, and others, and it's the lens of the cross of Christ. Paul goes on. He says all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We get to go out and meet the needs of people in a complicated world with this message that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. You talk about a message of hope In a complicated world, uh, this is the one that we have been entrusted with to communicate to others that God is not counting their sins against them. He goes on, and God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Well, according to Paul, his uh, understanding of the life and the work of jesus how do we see god we see god as uh, no longer counting people's sins against them as offering them a new way to step into a relationship with himself through the finished work of jesus christ how do we see ourselves uh, we see ourselves as a liberated people a set free from our sin free to become ambassadors for God, living representatives of the life and the hope that is in Jesus Christ. How do we see others? Well, according to Paul, according to the life of Jesus, and we see others, not according to their sin and not according to their habits, but according to the potential that God sees in them of becoming new creations in Him. Uh, you know, uh, I, I would just end this introduction on engaging with the issue of uh, identity and, and how do we uh, discover uh, an accurate view of God, ourselves, and others in this complex world that we live in is that uh, our identity is not fixed. It's evolving. It's dynamic. It's a response to what God has done in Christ. And uh, we no longer regard ourselves or others from a human point of view. You know, I love how uh, one of the other followers of Jesus kind of expressed uh, this new creation. Uh, He says in his letter to some of uh, Christ's followers, uh, 1 John chapter 3, see what great love the Father has given us that he has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are, he said. Uh, Dear friends, we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. We don't know exactly who God has destined us to become, but we're in that process. And he says, but we know this, that when Christ appears, we're going to see him like he really is, and we're going to become like him. Amazing miracle of miracles. Uh, This is the pathway that we're on. And, uh, you know, uh, I would just end with Paul's description of this life of dynamic change, of identifying who we are, who we're called to be in the world. He says earlier in his letter to his friends in Corinth, when anyone turns to the Lord, we don't have to be like Moses who put a veil over his face to cover up what was going on inside his heart. But he said, when anyone turns to the Lord, this veil of pretense is removed Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us, with uncovered or unveiled faces, we get to contemplate or behold God's goodness. We're being changed. We're being transformed into his image. There is an identity. We're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Uh, Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, we want to thank you for the many ways that you speak into our lives. Uh, thank you uh, that in this complicated world in which we live in, where there are so many uh, misunderstandings about who you are, who we are, and who we're called to be in the world, that we can look uh, through the lens of Jesus Christ, uh, your beloved Son, who, who came into the world to reveal your heart towards people. We thank you. Uh, for these words of the Apostle Paul, uh, that, God, you're no longer counting people's sins against them. That's a new way of viewing ourselves and others. Uh, Thank you for this invitation to become a new creation. Uh, Where we are is not where we're going to be, that we've just begun this process. Thank you for that point of clarity, that what we're becoming has not yet been fully revealed. But we know the pathway We know it's following Jesus and living like he did in the world, giving ourselves, uh, ministering, meeting the needs of others in the powerful name of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.